Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very spooky episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian. This is Maggie. And on this episode, we are joined by longtime podcast favorite Lola. Welcome. Ooh. Hi, everybody. We have Lola back for our spooky season episodes this year. Our theme this time is monster movies. So we are kicking that off with the 1954 uh Universal monster movie, Creature from the Black Lagoon. So this will be the third of the like classic Universal monster movies that we've covered. The other two that we've done are the original Frankenstein and the original Mummy. This one comes kind of at the end of the Universal monster movies. So as like a very brief reminder for people who maybe like haven't listened to the other episodes, we definitely like go into this, I think, in the most detail in our Frankenstein episode. But in like the early 30s, Universal Studios had like a a rough year of movies and they were like, okay, how are we going to get this money back? And then they come in nineteen, the very beginning of 1931, they have Dracula, which turns into this huge hit. Because that made so much money back for them, they're like, okay, well, what other classic literary monsters are out there that we can make movies about? So they do Frankenstein, they bring in Murders of in the Rue Morgue in 1932, and then they also start developing kind of original stories as well with, like, The Mummy. All of that's in the early 30s. They continue to be popular through the 40s and into the 50s. So Creature of the Black Lagoon is the last, like, original new monster in the Universal Monster canon. I do love seeing that towards the end there, they have like Abbott and Costello meet insert monster here. <laughs> that oh, does yes. kind of give you a vibe for where they were headed with this whole monster theme. One year we should do like a couple of the Abbott and Costellos <laughs> as our like spooky season episodes because they are absolute classics. Do you know when this movie premiered and what its release date was? <laughs> No, I don't. February 12th and March 5th. <laughs> the Halloween concept That's movie monster so was... close to my birthday. Well, it does explain why you are a gill woman. <laughs> I am very weird. But uh, yeah, so this is kind of on the tail end of that. It, we definitely are also seeing like the sci-fi influences, which are really popular in the early 50s into the 60s. So... I definitely want to talk a lot about this. They are very obsessed with the Devonian period. The number of times they said the Devonian age was you you'd be very drunk if you were playing That's a drinking, your drinking game to that. Game. Yeah. It's it's anytime they say Devonian age or another character or their own names. <laughs> I won't say that the writing in its uh, you know, minutia was particularly inspired. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all in agreement that like this is a really fun film and it's very much the perfect example of like a specific genre, which is that like B horror sci-fi. Like it feels like it would be the perfect drive-in movie. It's very camp. Yes, for sure. It was also originally filmed in 3D. Yes. Uh, because 3D was having a little bit of popularity back in the day. I'm kind of sad that I didn't see it in 3D because I feel like some of those shots, especially in the water and then of the monster, like head on, definitely would have played better with a 3D sort of situation. Yeah, you can definitely kind of tell. Yeah, and it explains the choices of some of the directing shots. Like, 
<laughs> why was this so long or gratuitous? And it's because they were like, the seaweed, it really flows at you. Like, look at it go. Yeah. I was curious, too, if there was some, like, uh, kind of similarly to Wings, where it was like, oh, we have this really cool tech where we can film from the sky now. Is it the same thing underwater where it's like, oh, we have this ability to, to actually show all of this stuff going on. So we are going to lean into these underwater shots. But I do find underwater like filming absolutely fascinating because you have to do it in such short chunks. And actually, the person who plays the monster underwater is not the same person who plays the monster on land because they needed someone who was like an exceptionally strong swimmer underwater who could like perform in that suit and spend so much time underwater. And then for the land gill man, they wanted someone really tall and imposing. So <laughs> we had to cast two people. Yeah, I had, um, okay, so Raku Rakao Browning, uh, who played him underwater, uh, was able to hold his breath for four minutes at a time doing those shots. He's like a stuntman, but he's been a lot of stuff too. And then Ben Chapman, who was the on land monster, I guess would hang out in the like the lots backlot yeah. yeah. Because the costume was so hot. Yeah, and he'd have to be in it for 14 hours a day, which I'm like, that's pretty par for the course now. But obviously, like AC and all of that wasn't nearly as advanced. But yeah, I mean, I, there's a really good documentary on Disney Plus about making the new Avatar. And I think it really shows how difficult it is to film underwater and how much you have to, like, take into account, like, the ripples and the light and everything. So the fact that they have any good underwater shots is incredible. Yeah, I'm not, like, I don't, I'm not mad at the cinematography and there are some shots I really love. There are just some choices that I'm, like, if you didn't know this was filmed or three, like with 3D in mind, you'd be a little confused. So it's directed by Jack Arnold, who was known as one of the leading sci-fi filmmakers of the 1950s. So he also did It Came From Outer Space, uh, which I think a couple of the other actors in this movie were also in. Um, he also did Tarantula and The Incredible Shrinking Man, which were like big kind of sci-fi horror B-movies at the time. It stars Richard... Richard Carlson, Julia Adams, Richard Dennings, Antonio Moreno, Nestor Pava, and Whit Bissell. And then we already talked about our our two Gilman actors. <laughs> also, I love the name Whit Bissell. That is like so pithy. Whit Bissell. That's so good. So my favorite thing I think of this movie was maybe not the movie. So we're going to mention it before we get into it was on Amazon Prime, it tells you, you know, who's the cast, especially like who's in the scene, which was really nice for figuring out like who the heck these people are. And uh, Julia, 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 Julie Adams, her bio. She went by multiple because her first, her first credits are under Betty. Yes. So, and, and I'm not paraphrasing, go to Amazon Prime, watch this movie and look at this. This is literally how it starts her bio. Betty Mae Adams was the daughter of a traveling Iowa cotton uh, salesman with a pennant for alcohol. That's her byline. <laughs> I was not ready for that accent. <laughs> I know. Betty Mae Adams was the daughter. Like, that's exactly how you're supposed to read that, though. Yeah, even though it's from Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. I don't like what. 
Uh, I don't know how to do an Iowa accent. I don't either. I think that's just my oh. accent. Oh. I, I just love the the slip into the default coastal southern. Yes, uh, real Doug Demidoff. For anything, for anything old timey. Yes, um. uh, but everybody's uh, bio was completely unhinged. Like Richard Carlson's was like him in a Tarzan loincloth. And kind of said something the same way about, like, where his father was from. And it was like, he went to school to be an accountant. Didn't like that. (laughs) So he (laughs) went into acting. (laughs) Um, They're really special, though. I highly recommend reading her bio specifically. Love it. So as we mentioned, uh, this is kind of an original Universal monster. So apparently the legend behind, like, the development of the story is that the producer on this, uh, William Allen, was at a party and Mexican cinematographer Gabriel Figueroa, who is actually commonly regarded as one of like the greatest cinematographers in the golden age of Mexican cinema. And now I want to go through his his like filmography. But apparently he just like at this party told this myth about like a half fish, half man creature that lives in the Amazon and Alan was like taking notes on that and then like 10 years later was like uh I need a script let's like do something with that story and then used Beauty and the Beast as his framework although I have to say I think it's a very loose framework and he's missing some very crucial details of the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale you mean like literally any connection to Beauty and the Beast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Other than the fact that there is a beauty and there is a beast, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where was the romance? Like, what? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> no, I totally agree because I read something that was like Guillermo del Toro basically used this as a reference for The Shape of Water if the romance had lasted. And I was like, am I missing something? Like, they're not in love. Like, at no point are they... I, do I think there's any tension between them so it was very confusing for me yeah no i'm with you i was like i think we're reading a lot into this um if we think that there was any sort of like romance or story about like you know someone not being accepted or being an outsider which i think are like big themes from beauty and the beast i was like i i think we're playing on different themes here it's fine to just say a hot person falls in love with an ugly person, like, that can just be the story. It doesn't need to okay, be... Okay, but there's no love. There's no love There's here. no love. <laughs> oh, but this is, uh, you know, 1954. Any amount of attention from a woman to a man was pure love, getting married, have his babies, like... It's very presumptuous of you to assume that the creature is a man. The creature is the creature. She's also like not in, like she doesn't willingly give the creature any. She locked eyes with him that one time. You know what? You're right, and I'm wrong. <laughs> that one eye contact is all you need to know. You're totally right. I'll like rush through the last bit of background because I do really want to get into watch notes for this. Uh, so Millicent Patrick, who previously had been a Disney animator, designed and also designed costumes for It Came from Outer Space designed the Gilman costume and then Bud Westman did the makeup for it. So I, and I think the Gilman costumes great. And I think it's a, like, it's a very iconic creature design. So well done to both of them. 
Yeah, I mean, they still sell the masks for it, even though I think a lot of people have, like, never really seen the movie or know what it's from, right? Like, it's a mask you can go buy. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, I think that's the case with, like, a lot of the universal monsters. It's like, I mean, think about, like, our pop culture concept of Frankenstein. Like, it's a version that's from the universal monster movie. Same with Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Um, You know, our concept of, like, the original old school mummy, that one might be a little bit different, but, like... In general, the Universal Monster movies really do, like, form our ideas of, like, a lot of these creatures and a lot of our, like, pop culture uh, mythology around them. Um, So it was nominated for AFI's 100 Years 100 Thrills list. It did not make it. Um, And The Gill Man was nominated for Villain, which is also why I don't think this is Beauty and the Beast related because i don't think the beast is the villain of beauty and the beast okay i also don't think that Gilman is a villain i think Gilman like is being put upon by these stupid outside explorers coming in and trying to fuck his shit up and he's yeah. just defending himself slash they <laughs> they them Gilman. <laughs> he's literally well, his costume is called Gilman. So. yeah i was gonna <laughs> yeah, say I, I no they do i have a note about that at one point though where they're like they call him the Gill Man, and I'm like, I don't think you know. You have seen this creature from a distance. You have no idea, like, what its gender is, or like what how that might present in this form of biology. Like, well, I think the movie would have told us if it was a woman because they would have just talked about how dumb they were. And they would have just had down boots. to them. It would have been Gill Man, but with boots. No, they would have been like, surely the Gill Man is just really in need of a family and a house with the white picket fence. They would have had a little bow yeah. sitting on top. Uh, they would have showed babies at the end because the only reason that uh, monster female ever wants to like kill people apparently is because they're threatening their babies. So they didn't show any babies at the end. Oh man, we really missed out because like Bride of Frankenstein is so iconic. We could have had Bride of Gilman. I would watch that show. Also known as Gil Woman. <laughs> Universal was in a whole thing about rebooting their monster movies, so maybe yes. they'll make it more inclusive. And <laughs> yeah, speaking of reboots, this has been up for reboot a lot. So it had a couple sequels at the time. It had uh, Revenge of the Creature in 1955 and The Creature Walks Among Us in 1956. Um, but in like the 80s, John Landis was championing. Uh, championing. I can't say that word. Wow. John Landis wanted a remake. <laughs> uh, and the kind of the downfall of that remake was they did want to do it in 3D, but the studio was concerned about the budget and was concerned about it competing with Jaws 3D. I'm sorry, Jaws 3D? That's what you were worried about? Do you know what the first movie was in that reboot that was supposedly supposed to happen? The Mummy. Yeah, so we talked about this on our Mummy episode. So in 1992, John Carpenter tried to get a reboot of this, and it didn't happen. Peter Jackson was offered a script in 1995, but decided to do King Kong instead. And then they also tried in 1996 and 1999, and the 1999 reboot was off the success of The Mummy, which, if you remember from that episode, happened because, once again, Universal had had kind of a rough year or two, and so they started looking and being like, what are the like IPs that we own 
that we think we can bring back that like might generate revenue and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, much like the first time this happened, let's look at those old monster movies. So they bring back the mummy, huge success. So then they were also looking at this, but it ended up falling through. Uh, just put a monster on it. It's fine. We could have had Brendan Fraser as Gilman. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have seen Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I would have to, I was going to say, I'd have too many complicated feelings about Gilman. If that <laughs> you would be like, uh, Shape of Water really appeals to me now. <laughs> um, and of course, like the closest thing to the remake that you really get of this is Shape of Water, which was heavily inspired by it, which we will be covering in which I'm very excited. Uh, we are now it's covering so this good, but so that. different. <laughs> I'm, well, I, I would hope so. On which on which of those two statements? I I enjoyed this movie a lot, but an Oscar winner it is not. <laughs> That's true. So shall we dive in? Let's dive in. <laughs> I'm not even sorry for that. We're recording this after like in the evening after a day of work, so we're all a little <laughs> I went to therapy today. Ooh. <laughs> did you did you talk to did you talk to your therapist about this movie? Were you like, I have a lot of questions. No, because I only talked about sad things in my life. <laughs> Much like um, Mark and Kay's <laughs> what <a> relationship. <laughs> so it's, well, Mark and Kay or Kay and David, because they uh, might or know. might you not know, be. Kay straight who is in a relationship in this. It's definitely Kay and David, and Mark oh, David. wants it. But there's weird, there's weird hints at a potential love triangle. All I'm saying is that they ended this the same way that Riverdale did. They would be in a thruple. <laughs> That's how Riverdale ended. Good on Riverdale. Uh, no, they did a full on like foursome. So I don't know what a quad quadruple quadruple. Ian, you're a sex expert. <laughs> We're gonna have to cut like all. Of but this I'm not a polyamory bit, expert. <laughs> Um, anyway, sorry. Let's dive <laughs> no, in. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So I don't think I was uh, prepared for this sci-fi intro of like the Big Bang and then the Earth and then oh my god, footprints leaving marks on the sand. Like it was giving very much shit. What's the ride in the Epcot? Two thousand and one, a space odyssey. No. No. But yes, but no. <laughs> not not that one. It's the ride in the dome at Epcot. Like it was Spaceship, spaceship Earth. Earth. It was giving vibes of Spaceship Earth. First, how dare you? First. No. If Gilman had been on Spaceship Earth. <laughs> how dare you? I, I want to call Universal and be like, I have an idea for you. Two. <laughs> it's cute that you think Disney would make a statement about either the Bible or uh, evolution. Like that's Those a are really terrible cute idea. But you think Disney would use a core universal IP in <laughs> No, no, no. I'm not talking like literally the content. It's more the vibes, like the kind of preachy like evolution of culture but literally sci-fi. Well, it's it's I think going into that like early 50s, it's like people were really obsessed with, you know, space specifically, but also like science in general and like, you know, we're big on like studying things and like where do we come from? How do we explain it? And all of that. So they do get very into details that they did not need to. But hey, how else are you going to fill 80 minutes? Um. <laughs> with, I mean, theoretically with character development. but uh, They could only no. badger K so much. <laughs> it's so true. 
Yeah, she puts up with a lot. Like driving a boat out to pick up her boyfriend from the platform because he's diving. Like, I'm so confused. One of the notes I have, though, is that Kay has a job because David talks to her. He's like, when's he going to give you that raise you deserve? And I was like, oh, my God, so supportive. But also, there's a line later where David kind of implies that maybe Mark has taken credit for some stuff that Kay has discovered. And I was like... Who cares about the Gill Man? I want this story. It'd be juicy. And that was Whit Bissell's character when they were like watching the Gill Man in the cage. He was like, oh, he wouldn't be anything if not for you. And I'm like, where was this the whole time? Yeah, they like drop some juicy details that I'm like, I don't care about the freaking Devonian period. Give me this. They literally did the thing that your parents do where they like drop some hot goss, but then completely gloss over and move over. And you're like, we're going to have to take a few steps back. You mean grandma was like almost more murdered in like a creek and she made the news. You mean literally when our house burned down and my dad called me on the phone and we had like a 10 minute conversation about nothing. And then he finally was like, yeah, so the house burned down and like kept talking. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the bad news sandwich, Maggie. It's banal things Dude, around my, a juicy bomb. <laughs> it is my family's go-to move and we are not good at it. So that archaeological dig, I just, I love how cute that was where they're like, let's touch all of this with our bare hands and like take pics at things. Like in The Mummy, remember when they were touching those ancient scrolls with their bare hands? I just, you and I were freaking out about it. I was cringing. I'm like, that scroll is going to (laughs) disintegrate. No. So it was the fossil of Gilman. But I will say the way that they kind of like intersperse this one with the a kind of like brassy theme in the soundtrack that kind of denotes the scary monster and the bubble motif and the like arm motif really enjoyed that. We do. It is that classic horror thing that um, I know Lola and I talked about it on the jaws episode and I, we're definitely going to talk about it again when we do um, alien next is our like other monster movie. But the idea of like, you don't see the scary creature for a long time or you don't see all of it. Like, we get the Gilman's hand a couple times. We get the close-up of his face underwater a couple of times. But it's a little while before we see, like, full Gilman. And honestly, that unknown is plenty to keep the whole mood going. That and the little musical stinger. Perfect. Oh, also, another thing I want to talk about with the whole Kay and David on, like, the raft in the middle of the lake scene. First off, we're... Clearly, I think they say that they're we're in Brazil. We're clearly not in Brazil. We're clearly on a back lot in California. But I do love when the professor comes in because the biggest mystery to me in this movie is what is the timeline of Kay and David's relationship? Because the professor comes in and is like, are you two kids not married yet? In a way that implies that like they've known each other for like years and been seeing each other for a long time. Later... David goes, we've only been together for six months, 2K. And I was like, Maggie, hold on. it was the 50s. Wait, wait, even for the 50s, that feels like too short. Yeah, but remember, they didn't even share a bed, let alone do anything else. Because they, it was they the 50s. They had some space on that little rinky-dink boat. I'm no, she had that. the best cabin, remember? She did get the best cabin. <laughs> she deserved it. It's true. But yeah, there, there, there's just a lot not adding up. The math ain't mathin', but that's okay because the point is not the math. <laughs> but they would go into so much detail trying to make the science math add up, and then like the 
basic story math didn't. But that's why it's a sci-fi thriller, not a sci-fi romance, Maggie. I made no sense. I made no sense. Ian's math also isn't adding up, but I feel like I'm being gaslit. You're being, wow, very on theme for this movie. <laughs> Let me take credit for all of your scientific discoveries and make a mint off of it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> God damn it. So they return. Sorry, we glossed over the whole fact that the two people that were guarding the site got totally axe murdered by the monster. Yeah, I do love that there's a knife and a gun on the table, and yeah. the guy chooses to throw a lantern instead. I mean, he clearly can't make good choices because those haircuts were bad. The age of those actors. Bad, maybe. bad. I will say the depiction of the They were going assistance. for a stereotype. Ex- yeah, exactly. Very stereotypical. Very 50s. They were going, yep. Very problematic. But... So anyway, they come up with Bubkus at the site. They're like, oh, we can't find anything more. And all the whole time, we're getting this kind of like dramatic irony of the monster stalking K. And, and I love it. Also, well, he's stalking multiple ones of them at this point, too. It's kind of like whatever, because you have like the whole bit with, in a bit, we'll see with like the a lot of the underwater stuff. But we also have this weird tension developing between Mark and David. And they've kind of set up David as like the we're here for the discovery and the science and like it takes time and all of that. And Mark's like, we need to make this fast because money and investors. And then I do kind of love that in all the shots, I don't know if you guys noticed, but they have Kay right between the two of them. And she's like the one who's trying to be like, you're both right and wrong. Like you kind of have to have both. But I just thought that that was really interesting how they always put her like right in between. I do like that a lot. That's a good choice. But they find nothing at the archaeological site. So, of course, they go to the Black Lagoon, which is paradise. But apparently no one has ever come back from. But it's paradise. (laughs) But it's paradise. No one's ever come back. But it's paradise. It looks spooky as fuck. And then also they get very detailed about why they have to go there, which I thought was really funny, where they're like, oh, but the sediment will have washed into the basin of this lagoon. Like, it was very funny to me that they got so detailed about that. And can I point out, too, that with the advent of tectonic plates, it would not have been exactly how it was in the Devonian period, David. (laughs) Tell him. You tell him, Ian. I will say some of the times when Kay was like, no, David, or you, David, it was giving shit's creak. David, you, Gilman. Um, Pretty much. My favorite quote from the beginning of that was her going, I thought the Mississippi was something. You know what's really funny? Kay. That was filmed in Florida. So, like... (laughs) Well, also, she's, like, been in Brazil, like, doing ichthyologist shit, like... I I expected her bar to be impressed to be higher than it was. Yeah, I mean, no shade to the Mississippi, like, it's cool. It's not the Amazon. It's not the Amazon. My my note from this was, and I quote, I'd let Richard Carlstein mansplain things to me if he was on top of me. Because I think, like, that whole sequence at the beginning, they're in the, like, button-down white t-shirts with their oh, yeah. hairy chest. And I don't know why, but I guess I was um, feeling it. <laughs> I it is, it is funny because we're in the 50s. So, like, I mean, they do put Kay in the, like, that very iconic, like, white swimsuit. But it's a one-piece. And, like, the men are a lot less clothed. 
Yes. They, yeah, I, I have that the scene they mansplained death to her. They were like, you're too un- dumb to understand death. Oh, yeah. I love when they were like, uh, we, what is it? They were like, we can't go to the Black Lagoon, but with a woman? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, she's already in the Amazon with you. Unexplained territory with a woman. Woman? <laughs> God forbid she faints. <laughs> Also, she's already in the middle of the Amazon with you. And again, it's later implied that Mark has taken credit for like some of her discoveries, in which case she had to be somewhere to discover things. Great point. I never got that note. I always read Mark as a good guy, but maybe I just missed a single line there. Oh, no. He was very much like, oh, who's the Jurassic Park analog of the like profit focused one who's the hubris? Accountant yeah. Who yeah. Who is eaten by the. <laughs> The Tyrannosaurus Rex. Exactly. Same trope. They had him like weirdly flopping where like sometimes he seemed fine and then sometimes he was like very like weirdly aggressive. Wait, when was he fine? I don't think he was ever fine. At one point I have Boo David, yes, Mark. on he's fine. Mark was my favorite character because I thought he was the most interesting to watch underlined boo david yes mark so that's all i need to know i love to say though are you sure you named the characters correctly yes because at that point i had figured out who was who uh, a whole page into my notes but uh, i was really upset that david had said something like well we have a lifetime to spend together like it's just a lifetime and i was like of course he has a lifetime they're not married so like every man i know is like we have a whole lifetime to get married it's fine so it was after that, um, but before okay. I eat rocks. So. <laughs> yeah, there's some inane lines. That was definitely one of them. No, I don't think anyone said that. I think the one guy put a rock in his mouth and was like, "No, no he he talked about rocks feeding him." Quote in a sense. Yes, it was. Like, I eat rocks. Okay, I missed that somehow don't worry it's it's not made any better or worse by the presence of that line um (laughs) oh i do have a note though where i got frustrated with mark where it was mark my dude you have not been in this game for very long eight days is not long for a dig with no results good point yeah i mean he's an ichthyologist not an archaeologist let's be real i don't know what mark is i just think he's the person who secures the money he's like the runner of the foundation he's the front man david i'm so unclear on everyone's titles but it's only because they state that david's an ichthyologist like five times i mean aren't they all doctors like they know something they refer to Kay as miss whatever her last name is but i that could just be a sign of disrespect i don't know if she's in fact a doctor women couldn't go to school back then Oh I mean, they God. could. You couldn't take them into like unknown areas. So I don't know what I was watching, but for some reason, I thought they made some um, statement regarding an MRS degree. But maybe I had watched too many movies that day. I don't recall that. Did you talk to a frat guy earlier in the day? Is that what happened? Yeah, it must have been in like Totally Killer or something. I'm pretty sure they w- that is like a, would be an anachronism in a 1950. 1950- well, actually, would it? I don't know. know. Anyway, well, mystery for another day. Yeah, so the diving, uh, I did love how they immediately had them diving uh, in it, even though I think two scenes earlier, they showed that there were gators in the water. And I was like, hmm, that seems like a bad idea. 
I also have a note where Kay decides that she's going to go swimming alone while everyone else is like in the boat in the Amazon, which is notorious for crocodiles or alligators. I don't know which. Maybe both. And piranhas. Okay, but did you see how such a strong swimmer she is? So strong. Like, she's fine. She's got this. They were really making her out there working for her bread in those spins underwater. Like, she was a synchronized swimmer. Well, we are in, I think, in or slightly after the big Esther Williams craze. So it checks out. But she was out there literally keeping up with uh, Poland, I guess. I don't know. There's, It's like a Eastern-esque European country that's like the best at it. Like Latvia or Poland or she could keep up. Yeah, she was doing great. Um, she is swimming with a huge smile on her face the whole time in a way that I've never seen anyone swim outside of like Olympic synchronized swimming. Um, but I do love the bits of like Gilman kind of shadowing her in the water. I think those are like really well shot. Again, so impressed with the ability to like swim in that costume. Um, And I do love the bit where it's like you see the hand getting like very close to her ankles, but not quite grabbing her and then eventually finally like accidentally brushing up against her and kind of startling her. And then they're all like, hey, you dumb woman, what are you doing? Get back in the boat. They move the boat to her. I'm like, she swam out. She can swim back. Like, No, Ian, she's a weak-willed, weak-minded woman. They have to go to her. K too dumb to swim was my note. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I think it's dumb that she swam in the Amazon without telling anybody. Nah, it's she's just adventurous. But I also thought it was dumb when the guys dove into the Amazon as well. Um, I want to talk about the spear gun that they have. It's hilarious looking to me. It's humongous. It does not look like it works properly. And no shot of someone swimming straight at camera wielding that massive spear gun is ever going to be not funny to me. <laughs> There's so many shots of that. But it's three dimensions. (laughs) Just aggressively swimming with a spear gun at camera. Hey, it's a vibe. It it, it feeds into the ambiance of it all. But the scene of the gill man in the net, I think, is actually super well done. And the way that they build the kind of the tension through the rocking of the boat and the little creaks and eventual cracks of like the what do they call it? The prow or something like that while they're trying to reel him in like super, super good. And that's where it's, I I kind of sense some similarities with jaws where it's like, you have this unseen force under the water that with the superhuman strength, just willing to tear things apart. Literally. We're going to see it with alien too, but when they raise the net and it's been just like a massive holes been ripped through it. Yeah. And uh, the shot of him coming up, under her with like from the plants was very Jaws like Jaws was definitely heavily influenced by this movie at least in the like underwater shots and like the suspense of not knowing what's on underneath like when you're on top of the surface yeah I think if the like full Gilman like reveal had been later in this movie it would feel like even closer to like a Jaws or an alien I think that's kind of where we see like later movies that are inspired by this, like step it up a bit is like holding on to that longer and longer. 
but I, I agree. I do love like that net scene. Yeah. Now the rote known stuff. I'm just like, this was a, a, uh, the fish drug. <laughs> I just, I don't know how I felt about that. That would be these men's solution is to drug it. If it won't come over. Yeah. I'm like, you could just leave. Yeah. Well, we have more of the tension here, right? With like David and Mark, where Mark's like, no, 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 no. We need to get this thing because like what a crazy find that would be and like the investors and everything. I don't know what it's in response to, but I just have a note that Kay's voice eye rolls at one point where she just goes like, of course, Mark. <laughs> and like you can hear the eye roll in her voice and it's very good. Love it. Now, I did love the the kind of like underwater scenes of them fixing that mysterious white powder as it floats down and billows out in the water. Like that was kind of cool. And I think definitely added some of the suspense, but it felt very contrived. I mean, they were fine just killing the entire ecosystem. It was fine. Yeah, all of the fish that were just belly up at the top of the water afterwards. Like, oof. Yeah, for scientists, they're really unconcerned about the environmental impact of what it's the fifties. We're in the middle of the fuck around era. <laughs> <laughs> we have yet to reach the find out exactly. <laughs> so they do ultimately like I, this whole discovery of the monster having this aversion to light. I think was kind of interesting to me in that it leads into them actually able to being able to capture this thing. That whole kind of lead up where they're, you know, diving into pitch black water in the middle of the night, like what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) So this was like equal parts, like tension building and also incredulity on my part that someone would be so dumb to do that. Yeah. This definitely feels like the like cheesier, more campy B movie and that it's like the, protagonists are behaving stupidly a lot of the time so it's like that element of like the horror and the thrill isn't quite there with like what you get sometimes like i the scariest movies and like the scariest books scariest stories are when the protagonists do everything right and it still doesn't work in my opinion versus i think that there's the one maybe it's a geico commercial and it's like all the people running through like the chainsaws let's hide behind those chainsaws let's hide behind these chainsaws and like the killer's just sitting there like what (laughs) i love that commercial i think it's so good because it's very true like i think when they do the dumb stuff you're like well what did you expect there yeah again time to find out And let me tell you, Kay finds out when she can't run at all and trips over sand. Flat fucking sand. Kay, work with me here. Maggie just put her head in her hand and was like, what the fuck? I, yes. I, oh. there, There was a moment, too, where I was just like, do something. Like, put up a fight. Like, come on. I was like, Kay, come on. You're better than this. You're better than tripping over your own feet in the sand. I mean, I know why, because then you have to have the monster come and scoop her up and you get like the image from the poster. Yeah, but the monster could have worked a little bit harder to capture her. (laughs) Just a little bit. Is that the first? Because then 
there's like the whole scene. Where are David and Mark during the scene when Kay They're diving through the the cave underwater and, you know, fucking around. I thought they were punching each other in their undies because they did that for a hot minute. (laughs) Wait, what? I missed that part. They're mad at each other now. (laughs) They like fight each other, but they're like both in their underpants. (laughs) And another dude's just sleeping and they're in like this full fight. Oh, that's right. I'm saying the people that should have gotten together at the end were Mark and David. Mark and David, yeah. It's honestly most sexual tension in the entire I movie. think that's why they hate each other, because what happened is one night in 1936, Mark and David had a little bit of a uh, finagling, and then Mark stole you know, David's idea from the notebook on his dresser drawer after he bed him down, and now they're rivals. And Mark, you sneaky bastard. And that's why they put K between them, because she's the only thing that could sexual sexual tension. And that's why David doesn't want to marry her. Because he's in love with Mark. That was just like QED right there. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> Proof if and you point. look at it as a love lover's scorned. <laughs> yeah, it works better. Could you imagine the expeditions where they like didn't like they went separate ways because of disagreements and that just like touched off this whole conflict. Yes. Oh. I love it. I love it. Mark, let's so go good. to the cave together. Yeah. They don't find anything really in the cave, right? So no, nothing in the cave. It's just a way to get to another part of the lagoon as far as I can tell, except at the very yeah. end. So anyway, yeah, but we have, we have K visiting the creature in the cave or cage. Which was like a weird moment. And I felt like when they were trying to Beauty and the Beast us and I was not having any of it. And I forget who the character is. Who's Is it the professor that's up there with her? Uh, On which part? That was when they were watching him in the cage. Yeah. It is uh, Dr. Edwin Thompson, Wit Bissell's character. <laughs> oh, it's a different character. Never mind. Yeah, he's he's very minor. He's there to just get his face ripped off and then bandaged, to be honest. Does the monster get out of the cage? Oh, yeah, because, like, it's bamboo and it's twine. Like, what are you thinking you're doing, y'all? Like, <laughs> I like that it waits until they're distracted, though. It's intelligent-ish. Ish. <laughs> but you know what? That goes for every other character in this movie. <laughs> it, it really does. So I think, is, is it after it escapes and injures Wit Bissell that I'm never going to call Wit Bissell by his character's name because Wit Why Bissell, would you when his real name is so much better? <laughs> so good. Um, is it after that point that they try to leave but are blockaded in? Yeah, I think it's around that time. Um, the implications are like the monster has blocked them in and they can't move this like tree branch, which is, of course, the classic horror movie trope of like you're in an isolated location. You can't get out. You're trapped with like a monster, an unknown force. Here's where we get like David and Mark going down to get rid of the thing. I think Mark shoots the creature with the weird harpoon gun and David's mad about it, right? Or was that earlier? It was in one of the dive scenes. They're they're very long and common, so... There's also the bit where you think that Mark might shoot David with a harpoon gun, but then he, like, shoots the monster and rescues him, and that's when I was like, oh, here's the real love story. It's the sexual tension. It's the only sexual tension in the movie. You just wanted to be harpooned. Don't we all need a good harpoon in sometimes? 
always if, had that, that once he escaped, I think is that when he goes back on the boat to kill someone else? There is a moment where he like comes back on the boat and tries to kill Whip Bissell because he's like reaching through the, <laughs> the porthole and I think David just slaps him or something and he like withdraws. He just kept destroying lamps. Like that's all I noticed during that whole sequence was like Well yeah, because he's scared of lamps, apparently. Cause remember somebody like I, I think Kay threw the lamp on him to get him off the boat. I that. take back what I said about the earlier guy throwing the lantern at him being dumb then, but also I feel like the movie did not lean into this enough because I completely missed that. I just thought he hated lambs. <laughs> so It's not a moth. This is not Mothman. This is Creature no, from the Black Lagoon. Mothman loves lambs. That's the problem. That's his downfall. <laughs> Mothman. <laughs> I love lambs. That's why he's always uh, you're always catching him in headlights. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so then he finds them in, like, the little pond area after that, after they slap his hand away, and then they go to a pond place. I, I'll be completely... they go into... The, I'm starting to get really confused. Yeah, this part gets very fuzzy, but ultimately the creature makes off with I know Mark dies, and I got very upset about that. I didn't. He heroically sacrificed himself for his lover, David. How could you not? I'm not sad. sad about it. It means Kay gets to take credit for her work again. That's true. See, I just had that the scene before I think he kills Mark was that the monster walking in, like he's like very menacingly like supposed to be like walking in and like finding Mark and David. But all it looked like was like in the middle of the night when you're looking for a glass of water and like you don't have your glasses or contacts and you're just kind of like navigating life a little bit disjointed so for him to go from that to like straight murder pretty impressive well um, i mean in, in all fairness apparently you couldn't see for shit in that costume so uh but point taken yeah so i mean i don't think we should be too harsh on land Gilman. he's a mostly aquatic creature yeah he's the missing link between the lungfish and humans. According to the... They talk a lot about lungfish. Yes. Yeah, lungfish played an, a, a surprisingly large role in this I movie. I think it was like a new discovery at the time or something. That would make so much sense. I had a note that it was like, fish, he has failed and hasn't changed. He's failed evolution. Little dumb fish doesn't know what <laughs> evolution is. And like, that's pretty much what they were just saying about the... Gilman the whole time it was dumb fish. It's really funny to me. It has to have been a recent discovery because they were like, you know, we know what our like hot male protagonist should be an ichthyologist. Great point. The hottest of careers. We're into no fish in 1954. No offense to any ichthyologists who are listening to this. I mean, it's like every every guy on a dating app holding a fish. But this one has lungs. So, like, what was up with Kay on the altar? Like, it, I, I just, why, why was she there? It was just a, it was just a shot for her to look like sexy. Not the sexy damsel in distress. I, her hair was always perfect in the fucking Amazon. How? It's why she needed the best cabin on the ship for all the hair products. (laughs) Okay, fair. Sorry to, like, 
No, no her to hair, that, like, hair looks amazing. White. Perfect. She also seemed to be the only person with a change of clothes. She also, she did the sexy pose in that kerchief shirt, which like, I would, I mean, all of her outfits I'd wear today, but I was like, that kerchief shirt is like popular now. Like, yeah. girl was posing. Her costumes are really good. She was originally a secretary. I loved the swimsuit too. Oh, I yes. was like, I would wear that swimsuit. She, uh, she was originally a secretary uh, for somebody uh, in the film industry, and then they put her in B-movie westerns. And I would assume it's because her hair was perfect and she was posed real sexy. Perfectly. She pointed her toes always, always toes pointed. When she was swimming, her toes were pointed. When she was posing, her toes were pointed. You can get your foot away from the camera. <laughs> posing. Maggie, where's your toe? Under the desk where it should Show be. Show us your black lagoon feet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they shoot the monster with bullets and he dies. They shot him with bullets and not the harpoon gun again? Oh, yeah. No, it was bullets this time. It, it required oh. full bullets. Which, honestly, I will say, I think it is interesting that Mark dies and then they go in for the kill like Mark wanted. It's just a fun little twist. Man, Mark really is the most tragic character. It is funny how they were like, it's not enough that this creature killed Whippissel <laughs> or like those two people back at the first camp, but they killed the money. <laughs> so now we gotta go. They The creature also killed someone on the boat too. Someone else. Some yeah. of the deckhands, yeah. Dude, Lucas makes it through though, right? The captain? Oh yeah. Yeah. He doesn't fuck around. He pulled that knife so fast. Oh. I have a note that's like, do not fuck with Lucas. Also, I my favorite line in the whole movie is, um, let me find it. Oh, I wrote it down. Oh, I don't remember what the context is, but at one point he goes, even I, Lucas, think blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that's hilarious. Because they do say people's names a lot. It was mm-hmm. so grandiose and I loved it. They it's hate perfect. pronouns in that it's, movie. Which is hilarious because I still sometimes got characters confused. Well, when you give them all generic boy names, it's kind of hard. And they all look like generic boys. Tough. Yeah, uh, but there was a true. blonde one and a brunette one. There was one blonde one, which is why I knew who Mark was. Yep. She does scream at one point, and I made a note about it, because when she screamed into the back of her hand, once again, why she went from a secretary to being in the movies, was well, she knew how to pose, but she literally went, ah, and like, put her back of her hand to her mouth and like slightly turned her face ajar. And I was like, okay, girly pop. I don't think the best scream. Oh no, not at all. I don't think she had a great horror scream, which I feel like is very, it, it, it just, it didn't ring the way like a good final girl horror scream is supposed to. Well, she also wasn't the final girl in her defense. She was well. She was the only girl. The exactly. Movie, so like, it doesn't count. The fish could have been a girl. Let's circle back to that again. She might That's not have been true. final. So are girl. you saying that not only do we have a gay romance, we have a lesbian cross species romance in Man, your fifty four was so progressive. <laughs> I am going straight to Tumblr and I'm writing down all of my thoughts, and they all include Richard Carlson Carlson with his shirt off in his Tarzan loincloth. Actually, I'm sorry. Richard Denning in his Tarzan loincloth. 
Richard Carlson in his white button-down with his chest hair showing. And they make love over a fish skin rug. I'm sorry, they were both named Richard. I just <laughs> just registered to me. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool, cool. You want to know a fun fact about Richard Denning, though? So his name originally was Richard Dennington? Denning? Darrington? Dennington? Darrington? No, that was a good studio change. I'm here for that. Yeah, they changed it because it sounded too much like that serial killer. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Dar- Darrington. I was just like, that's a long name. <laughs> I mean, it's also a terrible name. Denning- Denninger? Was it De- Denninger? Denning- Denninger? Denninger. Denninger. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and they were like, you sound like a serial killer that or a murderer or somebody, so we're going to change your name. And then cast you as a would-be murderer in a movie. Yep. He was really, he really didn't want to take over his father's garment manufacturing business. So he changed his name and he moved to Palm Springs. You know, you're just adding facts that lean into this gay sub storyline. <laughs> I have, I have more to add to that. Um, he was also playing the husband opposite of Lucille Ball in the radio series that led to I Love Lucy. Hey. That's it. Good for him. He was her favorite husband. Oh. And then he retired to Hawaii. So you know what? Maybe. Maybe he was a little bit gay. Uh, okay. And I it's, love that. it's like 50s Hollywood. There was a lot of gay, but it was very hidden. <laughs> At least in the like whiter eye. That's like all postcode Hollywood. Real repressed. Like my understanding and it's it's a fairly minimal understanding is that like hollywood was super fucking queer and then the code happened and it was still fucking queer but nobody talked about it <laughs> well the hollywood too like in in the early days i mean it was a little like no holds barred like no rules like it, yeah it was some of it in a good way some of it in a bad way like really bad drug use was rampant um you also have like early studio cover-ups, which like continued under the studio system and stuff. But yeah, mm. but we talked about this a little bit with like Wings and stuff too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The ending to Wings is like a, a fanfic waiting to happen. Well, we talked. Well, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking about like the Paris Cafe scene in Wings. Oh, that's you right. Have, like, you have like the two women who like clearly. I think I don't think we see them kiss, but it's like clearly. Yeah, they're on a they're date or have like just kissed. Yeah, so mm. love it. I just that's uh, my main takeaway from this movie is that Mark so and it David. Been better if Mark and David, they had a sordid past in which somebody kissed somebody and had um, unresolved feelings, and that has dictated and defined their life ever since. And when David was finally able to come to terms with all of it, uh, Mark died, and then. But I loved this movie. It was fun, right? Like, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I guess of, like, all of the Universal Horror movies, like, what? which of the classic Universal Horror monsters do you think, like, is your favorite? And which one do you think you could take in a fight? So we've got Dracula. We've got Frankenstein. The monster or the scientist, I'm going to say. The mummy. 
The Invisible Man, The Werewolf. Should we count Phantom of the Opera? Let's throw in Phantom of the Opera there. I think the more definitive version was earlier than these monster movies, but throw him in there. Um, or Creature from the Black Lagoon. You're saying who we could take the most easily. Who's your favorite, and who do you think you could take in a fight? Ooh, ooh. So I haven't seen all of those films, but I will say The Mummy is probably my favorite. And also the one that I think I could take in a fight. Interesting. I think Frankenstein's monster is my favorite, and I think I could take Dr. Frankenstein in a fight. Yeah, but the question I have is, like, do Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster team up? And you're Absolutely like, not. Oh, okay. That's the whole point of the film is that the doctor refuses to. He hates the monster. I team up with the monster. We take out the doctor. That sounds like an unhappy marriage. Between the doctor and the monster or me and the monster? You and the monster. We're just allying to kick the doctor's ass. I'm, I mean, in a, f- a matter of speaking, not literally you're married to that. That's the bride of Frankenstein. You're not the bride of Frankenstein. Her I could not take it. <laughs> I really um, I love how Ian's still in the 1954 thinking that even if you engage in a single activity with something. I made eye contact with the Very deliberate married. eye contact. <laughs> married immediately. Um, I could definitely take the creature. Like, he's pretty slow and... Dumb. I just had yeah, to drug him. Yeah, but did you see him. how strong he sure. was? If we're going by speed, I think I can beat all of him but the Invisible Man and the Wolf Man in a foot race. The Wolf Man because he's part wolf, and the Invisible Man because I won't see when he starts running. <laughs> Fair. Uh, it's it's funny when you said that take them, and I was like, well, I could probably take the Phantom of the Opera because I just lure him in with my womanly woes. Um, and I love myself a good emo boy. Okay, but so, can you sing? I, he's wi- he's wily though. I feel like the Phantom is a little wily, and if he gets you in the catacombs of the Opera House, if you're not familiar with them, you're kind of screwed. I, I mean, all I know is that I've watched Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, and apparently, what they did in them catacombs was make a baby. So, spoiler alert. Um, and well, you can't make eye contact with the Phantom, obviously, because then you have to marry him. I mean, that's all he wanted. <laughs> I think I could take Dracula, too. I think I could take Dracula, because Lugosi's Dracula moves pretty slow, and I don't keep my windows open, so I don't think the bat's getting in at night, because I have AC. What Was that when you had to... Is his Dracula you like have to invite in? No, but like he routinely gets into people's rooms because they leave windows open and he flies in as a bat. Well, we have screens now. It's fine. Right. Well, we also have AC. Like I'm not living in Victorian London. Well, I guess that's a question, right? Is if you took the monster to like if you put it in today, but if you or do you put have to fight on there and their time. If I have to fight in their time and most of these I'm screwed because I'm doing it in a corset, which is restrictive. <laughs> You can't you can't just take your corset off. Just be like, here, let me take this Bowie knife yeah, that I have in my sock and cut let off. me slowly unlace this corset really quickly. No, 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 you cut the layers laces. and layers of clothing to kick your ass. Everybody, let's corset up my pants and we'll go fight him. I love this movie though. It's one of my favorites. I love the fact that the first time I ever even watched it was a parody puppet show. Uh, and I didn't know anything about the movie, and so 
they made fun of Kay for being really dumb all the time. And I'm pretty sure they alluded to Mark and David having a relationship. So I will have to dig into my brain for that one. But I loved watching the actual movie this time around and being like, wow, the play was not really uh, exaggerating that much on how dumb they said Kay was. Which is weird because like, in general, other than like swimming in the Amazon with no one around and falling over her own feet in the sand, she's really not like that dumb. Okay, she's, clumsiness like, kind of is not dumb. It's just clumsiness. <laughs> that fall was dumb, Ian, and you can't tell me otherwise. It was clumsiness. Anyway. <laughs> but like in general, like she's really not like that dumb. Like she just kind of is like peacekeeper and everything. But they treat her like she's so dumb. Yes. Do you think she, the fall and the clumsiness is like the original, not like other girls? Like, oh, I'm so, so clumsy. Like, love me. Well, remember, the early 2000s taught us that clumsiness is a flaw. And it's the only flaw that's allowed for a female protagonist where they can still find love, a la Bella Swan. A la Lizzie McGuire. A la all of our early teen. A la Hilary Duff in a Cinderella story. A la uh, Amanda Vines in What a Girl Wants. A la every single movie Hilary Duff was in. Uh, what a What a Man Wants. We love you, Hilary Duff. We by love the way. you, Hilary Duff. We love you. Be in a horror movie, please. Oh my God, yes. Be in our Creature from the Black Lagoon remake, please. To totally change gears. Raku Browning, Rakau, Raku. Anyway, Gilman, he oh, died I... earlier this year in February. Oh. No. He was old. 93. Yeah. All that swimming kept him in good shape. Julie Adams just died in 2019, which blows my mind. Damn. What, the fact she died or the fact she died in 2019? you watch like movies like this and you really don't expect any of these people to still be alive but you had to be especially for women I think you had to be so young and youthful to star in them so the fact that like but she started like pretty like her career like this was not her first movie like she'd been working for a few years before this so I'm a little surprised yeah she it looks like her first one was red hot and blue um oh which, uh yeah, I don't I'm not really sure, but she definitely did not start her career here, but then she was working it. Like she did a lot of western movies. Which is probably why she struggled in the sand so much because she normally walked in rocky desert. Or normally she was riding a horse. Or normally she was wearing kitten heels in the office being a secretary. Listen, she worked her way back up. It doesn't I, say she would how not work. She I went. feel like she's not a kitten. She's not a kitten heels girl. She's a real heels girl. I, I can feel it. I feel it in my bones. Real heels in the office is not a sand walker make. I'm sorry. People who wear real heels in the office regularly, a hundred percent, can make it through sand. Like she did receive a golden boot in 1999 for her work in westerns. Oh, that makes more sense now. I was like, a golden boot from what? But she had a great career. I'll give her that. I mean, she did a lot for sure. A lot of the, like all the actors in this one pretty much like did a lot of work. A lot of them in like sci-fi. I saw a couple people who were in like Westerns. Um, I think uh, the guy who played the professor was actually in 
the searchers in a minor role. Maya, Dr. Maya. Yeah. It is it is very wild when you look at their careers and you you can really see how Hollywood was a machine. I mean, it still is, but like when you signed like to Universal, like you were making a movie every I would assume three to six months because there's no way that Richard Denning was able to come out with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies in 1955. I'm sorry, seven movies, one TV series episode. So seven movies in one year came out. Especially like, if you were like, like kind of that like medium level where it was like you would regular like kind of character actor level like they were in so much it was insane yeah especially like when you think about her being in like westerns which are pretty low budget kind of just filler content like there was always one filming yeah and that's for like a period of time yeah. that's what i always love too when people kind of compare Movies aren't what they used to be. Like, you used to have integrity, and now, you know, TV shows and movies are just filler content, and there's not a story there. And I'm like, 1955, like, let's look at all of these yeah. he history there's here. There's always been tiers of content, and I think, like, you can love movies at any tier. Like, they've all got something different to offer. Like, we'll probably go into this when we talk about, like, Alien in our next episode more, but, like... That one, which, like, at the time, actually was kind of mixed reviews, but has since become, like, a classic, one of, like, the great sci-fi films. It's, like, you can, you know, you can love and appreciate that film, but you can also appreciate all the things like Creature from the Black Lagoon that inspires it and maybe, like, technically are, like, lower quality, but it's, like, a fun time. Like, not everything has to be, like, super serious. Um, sometimes you can just really enjoy people swimming through a lagoon and you know swimming aggressively towards the camera with the big spear gun i can always appreciate <laughs> the creature just staring at the camera going blah blah blah, blah. Oh, i did forget to mention i do i did like like how the gills seem to inflate it was a really good costume oh yeah really really especially like so impressive considering that like somebody had to be able to swim in it were they swimming in the one that they did the close-up of, though? Yeah. I think so. I guess unless they superimposed the underwater and thing, which they could have done. But even, like, watching the swimming, though, it was so fluid. Yeah. Eh, it was good, regardless. I think that wraps it up for us. We've talked all through this one. We've hinted a little bit at the next episode we'll be covering. We've talked about which of the Universal Monsters we think we could take. Yeah, I don't have much to add other than rate, subscribe, review. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and technically Twitter. Now, I guess X or whatever. But uh, I don't think we've posted on there in a while. So Instagram is probably the best place to find us. We are at Best Pictures Pod. Or, of course, you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for joining us, Lola, on this wonderful episode. Yee, I love this movie. Yay. We can't wait to talk Alien with you next. It's going to be so fun.